Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Last week, we began looking at the life of Elijah, and I really love this. Uh, Connor and I have had experiences of processing people's, you know, narratives, narratives of how they did what they did, and really putting ourselves in the place of being right there with them. It's not that we're pretending we don't know the other aspects of their life, but we're trying to experience it as if it's just happening in front of us. And the the text we uh, read this week, and I would encourage you if you need to pause, if you haven't read it yet, to pause and read it. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 through the end of the chapter, verses uh, 24. And uh, they introduced uh, Elijah there for the first time in verse 1 of this chapter. Uh, And uh, he's clearly a man of God, and he's, he's put in this situation where he... Um, is given information that's really going to be bad news for everybody, that there's this famine. He's told to hide. He hides for a while. Then he's sent to this woman's house, and he participates in a miracle that keeps her and Elijah and her son well, or, you know, fed uh, through this time. So there's still a famine at this point, um, but that becomes lesser of a concern because in the first of the basic scenario is uh, the woman's son, and it's there's lots of things in this to me that are kind of interesting and peculiar, but but the idea of he he starts to get sick, he dies, and then um, she she goes after Elijah like almost like he did it, you know, like he meant for this to happen. Uh, Elijah then turns to God and he's like, "Did you mean for this to happen?" <laughs> uh, and then Elijah heals the guy, the kid, you know, the son, and so um, yeah, I'm just I'm wondering when you process that, Connor. Yeah. I'm wondering what hits you out of that story. Yeah, so it's really interesting to me that the widow here initially um, there's this you know God causes this famine right, and Elijah is this prophet of this God that causes in 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 our previous passage passage that we read this woman was ready for her son and her to die because it was just inevitable because the famine was so severe right and it just there was no hope um, and God through Elijah provides this hope and and provides sustenance for her and her son to live and then you know there's there's no aside where she's like why was there a famine. Why, like, what's like, why would God do this? Why would God lead, you know, me and my son? Why would his actions lead me to death's door? And then you get this, this, this part where she is mad at God, seemingly mad at God and Elijah, um, mad at God and Elijah, um, for something that is not made clear is actually either one of theirs fault. You know, there's no thing in the passage that says like, and God made the son sick or God did this and, 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 you know, and he died because of it. And so it's just really fascinating to me. I I don't know if I have anything to draw out of it. Um, but the thing where like, I would have been like, Hey, you'd be kind of justified to be questioned to like, you know, be like, God, why didn't you do this? Um, that's never really brought up. But the thing where it's like people get sick all the time and there's no, we don't have any evidence that it was an outside source. It just was a sickness from what we know it's just a sickness um and that's the thing that she gets mad about and that's the thing that she's enraged about um and in the midst of grief and pain it, that's just really really interesting to me i think this is a good example of what well we don't know what john the baptist did when he got word back from you know the people he sent to see to ask jesus if he is the messiah 
but I suspect that they're in prison, John the Baptist. I know that feels like it went far afield there. Let me, let me connect this a little better. <laughs> so this situation reminds me of the situation uh, where John the Baptist is in prison and sends word to Jesus asking if he's the Messiah, something he himself declared, you know, months or years earlier. And, uh, and the word back to him was, functionally, I am the Messiah. I'm doing these things that the Messiah d- does. But there's no good news for John. John still is going to die. And the assumption is that John took that, he caught the signal, uh, and believed. This is like how it would have been had John said, you're not going to— you're not going to bring me out of prison? You know, to me, it's like, okay, I'd already accept, accepted the fact we're going to die like you made mention. You know, it's just and, – and she might have said that very very defeatist or sarcastic. But either way, yeah, that, that's likely. If there is no food and all you've got is all you've got and there's no place to go, yeah, once you eat this, you're going to die, you know. And we don't know how long the uh, famine had been going on prior to this the initial interaction, and we don't know how long Elijah had – been around them, you know, uh, I, I like I asked the question, why, as soon as he started having problems, didn't she go to Elijah? You know, why did she wait? And maybe it's, you know, he couldn't breathe. And so it happened really fast or, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how they, that grew worse and worse. Um, it, it makes it feel like there took some time there and she waits until he dies. But it's almost like she's saying, look, you're the one that introduced God in this situation. You're the one that said that God would preserve us and I didn't have to worry. And now he's dying. So if God miraculously is able to keep us sustained, then why isn't he doing it now? Yeah. Why isn't he doing it for me? Which that's what I always think of if I'm a John the Baptist since, or, or a situation where it's like, okay, I see him doing good for you, mm-hmm. but why not for me? It's like on Mother's Day, it's like we're celebrating all the moms and then the, the person that struggles with infertility in that context. And so how do we do that that loves everybody in those scenarios because this feels unloving to her is what i'm reading in yeah yeah that's really interesting to me that like i like i would wonder there are times where like i felt like in i felt like god didn't come through in a way that i would have expected him to or thought he should have whether it's for me or for somebody else and you you do wonder like and i can see with some time some instances where like my focus was just on was not the was not on where it should have been or where it could have been for maximum hope and 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 joy in 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 that situation um but you do begin to wonder like as you zoom out um how many times are we upset with the workings of god or how many times are we pondering the grand mysteries of what god is up to in a situation and god is like hey oh it's over here like this is the issue like this is the i mean god is using all of it but i i do wonder like i, I feel like for a lot of myself like for a lot of myself, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I feel like for a lot of of the time for myself, um, I, I do wonder here where like if <laughs> if God is like, if I'm like questioning God or I'm wondering what God is up to, if God would be like, yeah, that that's valid. I totally get where you're coming from. I guess it's, it's a, like, you know, this is a big thing for you. It's important. It's, it's massive. Um, but also like, also you would have been it would have been totally valid maybe even more so for you to be more frustrated in this area or i i don't i don't know i don't know what to do with that necessarily um but it is it isn't it is it is interesting to me that there's no massive correction you know god doesn't come in and say like i didn't kill your son i didn't i didn't you know he's not he's not mad at he's not mad at elijah for accusing you know for like Mm -hmm. accusing he's not mad at the widow for being mad at his prophet um, he just comes through and there's no like, and, and I mean, there's thankfulness. There's a sense of thankfulness by the woman recognizing who God is, but there's not this like, um, there's not this like, 
oh man, God is a God of m- complete mercy and just, and he gave, yeah, so it, there's so much there. This shows up a lot to me in the Bible, and I, it, it relates exactly to what you're saying. This dynamic of, okay, what if you're the person with knowledge in a situation about God, and you see somebody handle it wrong or say it wrong? What is your responsibility? And, and that's, the that's answer, as with many things, is it widely varies. Because, I mean, we've discussed so many times that Jesus in one situation will respond to something in one way or respond to seemingly the same situation the total opposite way and things that I would certainly say, hey, that needs to be corrected. He doesn't. And then he gets very serious about some things that I'm like, mm, I, I don't know if that's that big of a deal. Um, and so that that doesn't... I think some people hear this and they're like, well, we don't know what to believe. No, we do know what to believe. Mm-hmm. We believe that God has this, you know, and that's what I see showing up here is Elijah is so confident in God. He can ask an honest question, mm-hmm. even though I would hear that as an accusation. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, and and maybe it could be an honest question and it could be also be an accusation. And it's it's so, I think it's so interesting of, of God here that, that, you know, you have this, I think it's so it's so telling that um, the grace that God gives in this situation to both of them, um, and you have His prophet, like His chosen guy, to ca- like to help carry out His will, to speak to His people, to help correct them and take them off the careening path of idol worship and 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 all the bad places that we'll see see the story go. Um, and yet you see like it, it, you see this almost frantic response from Elijah, his guy getting it wrong. Um, and like God's response is not is not to talk down to him or not to be like, you know, well, hey, hey you miss point X, Y and Z, which would then speak against what I had said earlier, maybe even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, God's response is he heals and he just lets his acts of mercy and goodness speak for um, the doubts and the struggles that the widow has and that Elijah has. Yeah, that that is so good. I, I really do think that's that's very true. I'm thinking about my kids right now and especially when they were younger, you know, they're in their 20s now. But I when I when they would speak to me disrespectfully, it it is very very hard. And I know every parent's probably going to hear this a little bit different, but it's very very hard to hear what they're really asking for because all you're thinking is I don't deserve to be disrespected, especially in my own home with my own family, you know. Um, and I'm not suggesting I did deserve to be disrespected, but there's multiple things happening there, yeah. and that disrespect comes from somewhere. And what a lot of times, since you have limited energy. I would work so hard on dealing with the disrespect that that would be all that would be accomplished in that interaction. That's fascinating. So I think we know, like we can kind of see some of the fruit of that being the main issue for like a particular generation, that the disrespect in, in this situation is, is, is the problem, is the, is the thing. So I literally an hour before we're recording this, my daughter threw a fit that was, you know, her, her emotions were very valid and, and, and real, but the reason was silly. And like, if she could have just explained herself and we could, and she could have heard us, then she would have known that there was literally no reason to be upset. Um, I'm not invalidating her emotions. I'm just saying like, there were grander reasons for why we chose a parenting decision for her that was for her good. And it was for her flourishing. And it was not like, it's not a, it's really not a debatable thing. It was like, (laughs) it was like a, Hey, don't throw toys at your mom sort of thing. Um, and so, but you know, again, we definitely feel that anger and that frustration of like of of the disrespect mm-hmm. and the hurt that you're causing your parents. Um, but there is a deeper issue that both Hannah and I want to work at of like of hey, 
and again, how you communicate this to a two-year-old is vastly different than the words that we're using right now. But hey, like, do you like what? Like, we want good for you. Like, we're like that's the first thing that we want our daughter to recognize is like, uh, um, like the first thing we want to correct, not correct in her, but the first thing we want her to realize is not that she can't disrespect us. It's that she can trust that we think that we can. She can trust that she can trust that we have best the best of intentions for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do wonder. I think I think that's generally good. And I think that's generally right. But then I also do wonder what the what the pendulum swing effect of that will be down the road. Um, and I think you know, we might see that you know now with with some disrespect of authority. Um, mm. And so that is a fascinating thing to to think about. Right. Yeah. And and I do think you know with how much parallel is there between God and His adult children and me and my kids when they're you know little you know. And and I think it's it's an interesting question. I think it's a really reasonable question. For me, I, I I think especially with with one of my kids, to be able to say, hey, whoa, whoa, can we dial it down first? I really want to be able to hear what you have to say, but it is so frustrating the way you're talking to me that it's hard for me to hear you, and then we won't be able to solve a problem. You know, we'll end up arguing about arguing. You know, and so, but it, but it is that I it it's shocking to me how much disrespect God puts up with. And that's not a license for me to disrespect him. Um, when I'm when I have the ability to discern what the right thing is to do and then I intentionally don't do it. Now that's sinning, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when I don't know, when I'm wounded, when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I'm angry, when I'm overwhelmed, um, he shows over and over again in scripture, he is not easily offended. Mm-hmm. You know, he will put up with way more than, than I would. Yeah. And I would love to track about when he does get mad about that. Mm-hmm. When he, when he, when there's a, a very quick response from him, uh, how close it is, like how close somebody is to doing something very destructive to themselves or to other people. Right. I would, I would have to kind of think about that and do a little bit more study, but I do wonder if there's a correlation between the fact of like, do you have a grieving mother here and an upset Elijah upset follower um and there's really no there's really no harm in the immediate moment like I mean there's harm yes but like there's no like nobody's going to be immediately harmed because um because they're being open and honest with God and they're directing their anger anger towards him so I wonder if there'd be a correlation there I'm not saying yes or no but that in my in my extensive biblical knowledge that seems like that might be something that tracks <laughs> I, I, well, I think you're right and I think I think the word discernment is it, to think that God discerns the best answer yeah not just the right answer oh or, that's good you know he so, discerns the best for that situation so we're always thinking okay this is a this might be a, a dumb like kindergarten answer that everyone else learned but I think I've just discovered this I'm constantly with my with my daughter being like what's the perfect thing to do here what's the how do I make sure to you know what is the absolute perfect thing for her? And parenting is just this continual thing of of making sacrifices and having to choose um, lesser of evils and and just not feeling great about how you got to a decision or the decision you end up making because there are these negative sides to whatever you said. And I and I just realized God is perfect, but if he's if the way that he's chosen to interact with the world is through imperfect people, then his choices by nature are going to look, um, are going to have things that we would see as, as negatives and downsides. Yeah. Uh, it's, it would be in pot. And it seems like, and I, I think I've thought about this in, in different ways, but I guess maybe I have, I have held, I have dealt with God a lot of times when, when I feel like he made a decision as if he is work, he is making a decision in the perfect context. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just realizing right now that is such folly. 
um, to think that, yeah, okay, like in a way of the word, God is making the perfect decision, um, but the ramifications of the decision, because it has to do with humans by nature, um, will have problems and will have flaws that at least I would perceive. Yeah. Well, and we've made this observation about Jesus often, just not in that frame that you just established, but it's that idea that if if somebody else was doing this, his, we've often talked about the rich young ruler interaction or leaving the impression with a large group of people that he was a cannibal, you know, or wanted them to be cannibals, you know, where he's like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he doesn't say, I mean it spiritually, <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, that's, no, we're not, who could, who could do this? Who could, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's, that's the dynamic that because we see it's Jesus, we just assume, well, it's spiritual. Everybody knew it's spiritual. They didn't. Yeah. You know, they didn't. 1,500 years of, of church history would say that most people didn't see it as that for right. a long time. Yeah, exactly right. And and he could have easily corrected it. You know, we were talking before we started recording about um, just the, the apostles' perspective on what would happen when the kingdom came and them thinking they were going to be power players in that situation. And, and when's it going to start? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. He could have answered that question pretty easily. Yeah. But he allowed them for whatever reason, and you have to attribute to him ultimate wisdom, but he allowed them to not fully understand. And and the message here isn't for me to intentionally be ignorant. The message here is quit putting so much pressure on what I don't know. You know, experience today, let God lead. He did there's no critique here of Elijah for not saying immediately to the woman, you better stop disrespecting God. I told a student that one time. I was like, I'm serious. It's just popped in my head. It's like, oh, man, almost 30 years ago, I was okay. sitting with a student, and he was like, well, I just don't know about this, about God. And I got real serious. And usually I'm very gentle in these kind of interactions. And I, I said, hey, I want to be really clear. His name is Felix. I'm like, Felix, you can doubt me. You can question me. I'm just man, but don't doubt God. Don't question Don't question God. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And he took it like his gospel because I was the most Bible-oriented person he knew at that moment, probably. But uh, but I'm like, man, that's exactly what Elijah did not say. Yeah. And I think there's, like we've, like we've talked about already this episode, and it's just been a continual theme, is like, there are times where, like, Felix might have needed to, like, that, that somebody needs to hear that, um, that somebody needs, that that needs to be the message that they received, and I think God does do that. Um, but for that to be the blanket response um, is, is, we like, we're just realizing here over and over and over again, like in the stories of Jesus and here and everywhere that we look over the Bible um, to assume that, that that would be the blanket response is just folly. And I think it's so fast that this, this famine starts off because of the wicked rulers and the people turning to idol worship. And you would think because that's, that's one of the main, pro- that's the problem of this story that God would be like, no, 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 you're going to get this, you're going to get worship right. You're going to get this respect right because you have completely disrespected me and turned um, and turned to false gods. Um, and then even in the midst of this massive period of correction that God is working in His people, there's still this there's still this abounding grace um, for the little moments and for um, and for yeah. It, it, there's so much complexity here um, that it's just a great reminder. Every time that we go like, ah, oh, we've discovered, we've discovered the formula that we just go, no, that's, that's not, that's not what this is about. So what, what's something else that, that stands out to you? verse 21 so so elijah has this boy 
uh, at least her son. I don't know how old he is. And he's got him, and he says he stretched him out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. And I'm like, I'm trying to think before this, is there any example? Did Abraham do that? Anyone else do it? But it's such a weird, if you saw this happening, it would be so perplexing. It would be so, what just happened here? Um, that he stretches himself out on the boy. Like, and I see him, I, this happens again. And I, I can't, for the moment, I can't remember Elijah or Elisha that does. I think it's Elisha um, that does it. And it's almost like, I think it says eye to eye, mouth to mouth. Like it's very, even more specific, but it's such an interesting thing. And the question is the the why. Number one, why does he have to do anything? Why didn't he just say, be healed, you know, or, or be raised? Um, and then why this thing? And what's the signal of the three times? Is this the three days? Is it, you know sure. what I mean? What, what, what's the um, significance here? And I don't know. I'm just saying, I think if his mom had went up to, with him to the room, she'd be like, now hold on, what's going on? Because <laughs> that's weird. I just went and kind of looked at a quick reference um, to, to this passage. And they use a word that this seems almost incantation, incantation-like. It's very magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get, the, you get the sense, like I wonder here, uh, at least according to, to this uh, commentator, um, this would have, in theory, mimicked a lot of what like magical procedures that were happening in Assyria at the time. And so you, you, you wonder, okay, the widow walks in and she goes, Oh, okay. This is exactly like how I would have, this is what I would yeah. expect. This is well, like, like our tribal leaders. Yeah. This is how we done. tap into the power of, of God. It's, it's right. this, it's this weird uh, incantation. Um, but yeah, it, it's so, so one, maybe that's a little helpful context for us to talk about it. Um, but two, it's also utterly fascinating to go like, obviously God is not, like God is not a ma- like God, God is not a magic deity where if you get the right words, then He has to do what you want you want to do. And so there's this weird cultural element that we can't really fully understand. Um, but then there's also like like if this if this commentator is correct that this is a this could be a reference to some of the practices around this time that um, that God was wanting you know the people to get away from to a certain extent. But then God is also going to use that and going to speak through it and going to be so. There's there's a lot there. Um, and so I just kind of did a little bit of a, a context dump on there, and I don't know if that helped clarify anything, but it certainly added some layers. I, I really appreciate that. And, and what this the takeaway for me is, if you've ever been to worship service, and let's say it really encourages you, but then something that you think is wrong happens. It could be somebody says the wrong thing. It could be somebody does the wrong thing. Um, and the feeling like, oh, that ruined everything. Yeah. You know, that ruined everything. And... The next step is, and I've had this as a as minister, I've had people get up like I'm the minister to church and somebody gets up and talks and they say something that does not exactly fit our doctrine, you know, and doctrine just means our teaching, the way we say, here's how we're going to order how we do what we do. And, uh, and, and then people will come to me and I'll be like, who's going to correct him? Are you correcting him? Am I correcting him? We got to correct this guy, you know? And so it's an interesting thing here because to your point, um, I, it, it, that makes sense. Like what you said, that that totally makes sense because Elijah, we know very little about him. I don't know if we know anything about him prior to this chapter. And so he's, we see him as a grown man, and he's lived in this place that has for years been surrounded by this type of, of what do they call it, syncretism, this mixing of, yes, we got Jehovah God, but we also have these idols. And, and functionally, humans tend to go to the seen yeah. over the, the unseen, and so the idols would, would, would dominate, you know? 
Um, that's usually how that how that plays out. So he wasn't exempt from this. It reminds me of the apostles in the boat when Jesus was walking on the water and they said, it's a ghost. And then you do, do a little bit of a cultural dig and you find out that Jewish people thought the spirits of the dead would go to water. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I'm Jesus. He's like, if it's really you, call me out. What's funny about it is, is that we would think the correct answer is there aren't ghosts, <laughs> you know, but he yeah. goes, I'm, I'm not a ghost. Later on when he shows himself, they think he's a ghost and mm-hmm. he's like, no, it's my body. Look and see, I'm going to eat some fish, you know, kind of thing. And, and he doesn't, I don't, I don't know how far to take this, uh-huh. but he's not offended by their superstition. He's not offended by these other views. And it's interesting in 22, it says, after all that, he cries out, seeing so he places him on him, stretched him out three times. He cries to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And then it says in 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry. So the cause and effect there wasn't anything else Elijah done, according if I'm taking that right. Yeah. He, he's, he cries out, God, do this. And God's like, I'm with you. I'm right mm-hmm. there. And God is not, back to that unoffendedness, he's not offended by the fact he did this incantation. And mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't offended that they thought he might be a ghost. He wanted to clear it up, mm-hmm. but he wasn't jumping on there other beliefs yeah we'll have to come back later uh you know spoiler in a little bit when we get to the whole uh scene with uh the prophets of of Baal. Uh, but i wonder here if there's some similar cultural elements and we won't get too much into that um but I, i'm now kind of thinking through this through the rest of the story of elijah and wondering is there um, a meta narrative here um to how god is dealing um how god is dealing with this invasive uh religion that has infected so much so, Connor, before we close, what what are is there anything else that jumps out at you with this passage? Yeah, I I would just love to know what the rest of the story is for this woman and for her son. So, if if what we talked about, what I read in my commentary was true about um, about Elijah using these kind of these fake religious practices of the day, and God still honoring and still choosing to raise her son up from the dead, um, and taking into account the fact that God God through Elijah saved the widow and her son one time. And then the widow was mad at, at God a second, like a mad at God when her son died. And then God saves her again. Um, I would just, I would love to track so much with what the rest of her life looks like. We talk about this all the time with Jesus, where Jesus will have an interaction with a woman or, you know, with somebody and there's no like, Hey, here's your handy new Testament about how to go live the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. This woman, um, you know, she has Yahweh provide for her. She has provide food and sustenance for herself and her son. Um, and then she feels like Yahweh through Elijah, you know, helps take away her son. Um, and then the son is brought back through all, like she might see the same religious practices of the day. She, she has this recognition at the end of the chapter um, that Elijah is a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Um, but then you just would love to go, like, she has a lot of false perceptions of of, of who Yahweh is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no wraparound period. Like, she goes to live the rest of her life. How long does her son live? And, and God is just seemingly okay with this interaction. And we, we get no other further um, clarification of, of, of what happens to this, this small family unit. And yeah, I, I'm just utterly fascinated by that because... She is very easy to see how she would, from this these crazy moments with Elijah, would still see the power of God, see the power of Yahweh, and still have some really warped perception of who Yahweh is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think if a missionary came and they presented, and we're supporting them, so we feel somewhat responsible for them, and, and they said, yeah, I ran into this lady, this amazing thing happened, and then 
uh, you know, this whole scenario played out. And I'm like, what else did you teach her? He's like, yeah, we didn't talk that much. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's no other, even this scene, you uh-huh. know, th- there's no sense they're having regular conversation. Yeah. You know, we found out, we found out that like, um, praying in a similar way like i we're you know she was it was in a muslim majority country and we prayed similar to how like how how the muslims do we, we did it in, in in the name of jesus and god but we prayed very similar we yeah, acted, yeah. how the muslims five, did five times a day we were on our, yeah our, very yeah, very similar exactly. um and you know she she said you know jesus jesus is sweet jesus is good jesus is who this is um but yeah we never said like hey don't like we just like th- there seems to be so much here that like for us because it's like we're so above what we would perceive as the real of, of the false religions of, of that time yeah. that I just think we miss some of the impact here of the scandal of God being okay with leaving, like leaving this woman's uh, perspective um, the way it is. That totally brings to mind a, uh, I had a couple friends go to China that totally brings to mind. I had a couple friends go to China as English teachers and they found some Christians and uh, they started meeting with them, and they decided they were they were gonna all they were gonna do is point the people to the Bible. You know, they'd been through some Bible training, you know, but they decided we're not going to create this church in our image. You know, we are going to just read with them and do what they do. And if there's something they don't do, we think we should. We'll do that on our own. You know, so communion came up, and the people weren't taking communion. And they said, you know, I think we should be taking communion. And they said, that'd be great. And they showed up, and I don't know what they served for communion, but it wasn't unleavened bread, and it wasn't, you know, fruit, uh, grape juice. And so uh, that went on for months, and they're like, and then somebody said, do you think, I heard from somebody, we should use unleavened bread and grape juice. And their their response was, why? Why do you think we should do that? And he said, I don't know. Well, let's study together. And then they made the decision, we're going to do, we're going to use unleavened bread and grape juice. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm, I'm just saying that's where they came to. I'm hearing this story and I'm like, you are out of your mind. If you know the right thing and you don't correct them immediately, you are sinning. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, be just like Jesus who, no, didn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. And, and now God here is like, I would think, it, I'm, I'm thinking about, it, it's, it's Elisha, that Naaman and Elisha, and he comes and he's like, hey, on his way out after he's been healed, he's like, hey, by the way, I have to bow down to the false gods like every day to get in the house. Is that going to be okay? And Elisha's like, sure. And he's like, can I take some dirt to create my own altar? He's like, sure. It, I mean, if I was in that shoes, but you got to move. You got to quit your job. You got to, and, and understand, I'm not developing new doctrine on this other than, man, uh, I think we put pressure on ourselves. Um, that God didn't put there, that Christ didn't put there. And and I just wonder, and I, and I think there's the sense, well, if we don't put pressure, then nobody's going to grow. And I'm like, so you're saying our way is better than God's? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there is times that God calls to really strict things, but yes, we need to contextualize it. How long has this gone on? Yeah. You know, and even in the midst of this, I think it's just important to point out, like, this is a moment of pressure. Like, the famine is a moment of pressure that God is applying to his people. But that doesn't stop him from being incredibly grace-filled in, in, in these moments and doesn't stop him from relieving pressure at lots of different points. Whereas I think we humans tend to go, like, now's the time for pressure, 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 until the thing is solved, until the thing is done. Um, and I think the example that we see a lot throughout the Bible, whether it's in the old or the new, um, God is not just doing one thing. God is not just like working on one thing. Um, right. Whereas for us, so often the time when we're like, no, we got to correct this one issue. It's we get so single minded and so focused that we miss all these other opportunities along the road that God is giving us to um, to not to not 
to not put pressure to, to be full of, full of grace. Not that putting pressure necessarily is, is anti-grace, but you, you know what I mean. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things that very easily becomes, um, becomes destructive for the people around us. Yeah. No, I think that's very true. And I'm really taking away a lot of, I'm invigorated by this thought of a lot of times when we hear prophets, we're like, oh no, here they come. You know, it's like, well, I was reading the minor prophets. You never go, I was reading the minor prophets and I wanted to extend more grace to people. It's like, I was reading, and they, he's not a minor prophet technically, but I was reading a minor prophet and everybody's, you know, in trouble here, you know? And so it's neat to see that, and, and we're going to see him say some very direct things to people that are intentionally choosing to disobey God in the coming chapters. But I love this is also part of the presentation of a man of God walking in stuff that he's not exactly right on, but he's right on God. And I'm like, man, that's the message I can certainly carry forward. No, that's good. I love, I just love the, the distinction between last week's episode um, of like personally me really struggling with it, with, with what the Bible is saying that God is doing in this situation. And then now you see this just incredible, like, and, and so that, that, that is just an encouraging thing for me this week of being like, of last week when I felt like, man, God feels so unapproachable in this and it feels like I just, I just don't get what he's really after and why he would go about this way. Um, then there's this other, there's this other side, which is this radical grace and radical acceptance of something that I would feel like God needs to come down pretty hard on and needs to correct. Um, and that's just a good reminder for me that every time I think I have it figured out, um, that's generally a clue to recognize that I am, I have become so single minded that I'm, I'm missing a lot. Um, I am with you. So next week we are going to be looking at uh, chapter 18. I, uh, and, uh, there's a, we're, we're prepping for a head-on collision is what we're doing, uh, and a really emotional uh, setup is, is going to be happening, so verses 1 through 15, and so we encourage you, read that, ask yourself, what amazes me, what perplexes me, what just stands out, um, and uh, as always, if you have any questions uh, or things you think maybe we're not seeing, please reach out through uh, you know either the Facebook page or the um, the uh, email uh, that's there. And we just really want to encourage you, keep pursuing God, understanding his great grace and patience for you. That was good. That was good. Grace, peace, and love. <laughs>